Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I'm John Human. I am the editor of the Investors Chronicle. I'm joined today by Mark Robinson. How are you doing, Mark? John, fine. Good. And Daniel Liberto, how are you, Daniel? Very well, thanks, John. Uh, you boys are off walking this weekend, aren't you? Yes, up in the Dorset countryside. Yeah, you're, you're ready, I hear. Well prepared, Daniel. You've got some uh, Yeah, I've been stocking up, yeah. Mark has given me a shopping list. Yeah. Not trainers, then. The last, <laughs> no, the last you'll ever hear of us. Boots. Okay, and uh, over in the control room, uh, Graham Davies. How are you, Graham? Very well, thanks, Tom. And Dom. Tom's. Dom, how are you? Doing very well, cheers. Yeah, you uh, sort of remind me of the Tottenham result as we entered the room this weekend. Thank you for that. <laughs> Uh, anyway, okay, it's been a very busy week, um, not least because we've had the uh, Autumn Statement Stroke Spending Review, um, which has given us a lot to talk about, hasn't it, Graham? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult to get too excited about it yesterday. He spent over an hour telling us about everything that we've been reading for for the previous five days in the papers anyway, because it all gets leaked so much these days. But there were some really interesting headlines came out of it. There was the obvious political stuff, his sort of uh, U-turn on tax credit cuts and all that. But but for, for companies that we write about, there was there was big news, uh, certainly in the in this of housing sector and also in, in defence. Mm. Okay, well, I mean, I guess most of this seven, the seven days section this week is kind of covering the areas that were really... Uh, hot topics in the spending review. I mean, let's start with housing. Indeed. Well, it, you know, the government is desperate to get generation rent uh, in, into buying their houses. Um, uh, so it's desperate to encourage a huge house building boom. It wants to build 400,000 homes before the end of the decade, which is, uh, well, looking at what Jonas uh, Crossland has written, is, is very ambitious. Um, okay, so we're building 150,000 a year at the yeah. moment. So, yeah. I mean, what, we've got four years left? So we should, we should get there easily, surely. Well, so so they say, but I mean, we we talked about this earlier on, John. I mean, there are there are issues in uh, the ability of house builders to ramp up any further. They are producing, as you say, a, a, I think it was hundred thirty-five thousand. Okay, in the past year. Uh, but so this is another four hundred thousand on the, top of that. These are starter homes that they're talking about. These are homes right. that will be available for uh, you know help to buy and affordable housing. Okay, so uh, so the big, I mean, the big talking offices and and actually around. The Twitter sphere and, and elsewhere is I mean, who is going to build these things? Because mm. what we already know, and, and we've seen in a couple of the house building results, is that labour shortages are becoming a bit of a, a biting issue. Yeah, yeah, it has affected some. You know, the, the the house builders have been improving margins for a long time. Suddenly, that uh, has, has stopped because the costs involved are rising, and finding labour to actually do the work is is increasingly difficult. I, I can't remember the figure, but something like three hundred thousand um, skilled labourers left the industry in the, during the recession, and a lot of those haven't come back. Mm, mm. I mean, I generally ignore every single press release that ever comes into my inbox, mm. but there was one that actually was on the subject, which I thought was quite interesting. There are apparently. 980,000 people employed in house building in the UK uh, at the moment uh, who are going to build around 148,000 homes. The thinking is we need nearer 300,000. So whatever the government has promised, mm. this 400,000 is still nowhere near enough yeah. uh, to meet the demand that's out there. But to build that many homes in a year, you'd need 2 million uh, house building workers. Double the current uh, Double the current workforce. So we, we know that some of the house builders are running apprenticeship schemes, but mm-hmm. they're you know, not going to get anywhere close to creating that many new skilled workers to, to build those houses. And we know that you know, schools don't turn out these kind of, uh, these kind of skills. No. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a pipe dream, really. Well, yeah, exactly. Despite the best intentions and a lot of money being thrown at it, it's going to be a real struggle to meet these targets. Mm. I mean, there was some other bad news for uh, buy-to-let 
borrowers, yes. buy-to-let landlords or potential buy-to-let landlords. So yeah. actually, if you've got a buy-to-let house, you're not necessarily massively affected unless you sell it, I think is the, mm-hmm. the main implication. But if you are thinking about becoming a buy-to-let landlord, everything's just suddenly got a little bit worse. Yeah, another the 3% levy on, on stamp duty for buy-to-let. And it's, I don't know how they're going to um, differentiate, but a second home purchase or a buy-to-let. Right. Saying. Well, Basically, I can't if afford you, if you a second buy, home. Well, no. Has anyone here got a second home? Thinking about it. It's very quiet. <laughs> well, Jonas did mention to me this doesn't apply across the board because lots of uh, people who are making income out of buy-to-let have formed corporations, and so it doesn't apply to them. So you are suggesting that there are some potential ways around the legislation if you are? Yeah, and, and he did mention as well that what will happen is effectively those uh, costs, well, the, the ancillary costs linked to stamp duty, they're going to be passed on to the tenants. Yes. Well, there is mm-hmm. there is a, a strong feeling that actually it won't be the landlords that are worse off, but that we'll just see an appreciation in rents. And, and it's already tough enough to rent in London in particular. I mean, I don't rent I, I, and I don't live in London, but uh, do you, you rent in London? Yeah, it's expensive. Yeah. Has it, have you noticed it? Get, I mean, have you moved recently or is it? Well, I've been living in Stratford now for the past three years. And since the Olympics is kind of the so price you, is steadily going up as so develop, you're looking yeah. around and uh, well you, you just think eventually we're just going to get pushed out of London maybe end up in Essex it's alright there's nothing wrong with that it's nothing a great wrong with place that to live it's beautiful well some of it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean lots there for house I mean the house building sector bounced on on the uh, it did the autumn statement I mean gen- you know, generally this is very it's very supportive for the sector but there are you know practical challenges that remains to be seen how they're met well, the, the government will be providing fi- finance as well to buyers in London. There's, there's a scheme that's uh, being backed by the prospective mayoral candidate, Zach Goldsmith, as well, where I think the government will be supplying what, about 40% of new loans based yeah, it's on a it? new, it's a new help to buy, but it's a help to buy London, specifically for Londoners. Um, and who qualifies for this? Uh, first-time buyers, I guess, who've got a 5% deposit. They'll, they'll be given a 40% interest-free loan yeah i mean that's that i mean that sounds good in principle mm. but i mean house price in london still i mean you know i wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't be able to afford to buy it necessarily right now you yeah. know I mean, well, it's, in zone it's, two forget about it it was zone one or two yeah so I mean, what we really need are more houses yeah but we haven't got anyone to build them so i mean yeah i mean i, I look at this and think yeah, yeah on paper sounds wonderful in practice it's, i think it's going to be very very difficult indeed there is some other news uh in seven days this week growing from the uh some more mortgage lending figures which are yeah. looking all right, suggesting there's there's a lot of uh, strength in, in the market there. Mm, yeah, the, the highest uh, monthly mortgage lending, um, which was $12.9 billion in October, is the highest um, since August 2008. Yeah. So it suggests there is um, some strength in the market, and, and it was equally spread across sort of new uh, new loans and, and remortgaging, because as we were talking about with our, our colleague Algie earlier on, um, you know, rates are so low at the moment. What did he say? You'd be stupid not to be in debt. You'd at the be moment. stupid not to be in debt at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think there, I think there may be some readers and <coughs> listeners who would be horrified at that <laughs> philosophy. But but it kind of that is the reality of where we are in this you know so ultra cheap. low interest rate mm. environment. Mm. Okay, so house building and housing, lots of repercussions there from the autumn statement. Let's yeah. talk defence. More money for defence, basically. I mean, Dan, this is this is your area. Yeah. Tell us what's happened. Give us your take on it. Well, obviously, there's been a lot of developments of late, the incident in Paris, for one, and that's obviously put the government under pressure to increase defence spending. I don't think we expect it to be increased by so much. It's a 12 billion increase. And over what period is that? Over 10 years. Okay. So 
I mean, after a long period of kind of cutting back on costs, it seems that the government is really focused on boosting the nation's defence and security. And yeah, I think the kind of terrorist attacks in, from the, you know, this fear of uh, the Islamic State, Putin in Russia, I think these kind of geopolitical tensions are, um, are escalating the situation. I think that's kind of been the response. And, it, you know, there's been a, a lot of developments. And as you could probably see, there's been quite a few beneficiaries to this uh, latest news. BAE, I think the shares have gone up about 14% over the past week. Wow. Um, well, that's huge. So, uh, I mean, yeah. that, that suggests that, that we, we've been surprised by, yeah. by the level of increases we've yeah. seen. Well, it, yeah, like I said, I think everyone kind of knew that it was going to increase when the government was uh, re-elected. It did uh, plan to invest um, in, in the Trident project. So that was already on the horizon. But, but there's other programs that are going to get much more support, aren't there? So some of the developments, uh, they announced plans to buy eight uh, BAE warships for the uh, Royal Navy, uh, nine Boeing maritime uh, patrol aircrafts. They've also uh, said they're going to invest in um, surveillance drones and uh, cybersecurity. More fighters for the aircraft carriers that we've yep, got. that's right. Uh, which Without a lot of the, fighters on them. <laughs> which a lot of the companies... Um, in the UK companies make or help make. It's, it's the F-35, isn't it? Yeah, that's right, yeah. It's uh, made by Lockheed Martin, but there's a lot of UK contractors that are involved yeah. in the project. Mm. I mean, who, who, for example? Well, Rolls-Royce, I think I referenced ah, an article. Uh, we'll come back to that in a minute, because you uh, and I have got a bone to pick. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, Rolls-Royce and... Um, BAE. BAE yeah. as well. And, yeah, I mean, most of these most of these things, I mean, the cybersecurity has been a big area for a lot of these companies. They've kind of realised that this is a growing concern. Obviously, you had the Talk Talk hack not long ago. That's just one of many that we've heard about. So the government's responded to that. Uh, kinetic and ultra-electronics uh, beneficiaries of that. Well, Kinetic had some results this week, didn't they? Yeah. They looked pretty decent. Well, trading overall wasn't that impressive. But I think it was the kind of outlook that really kind of convinced investors not to mention the fact there was a 50 million share buyback. Ah, that, was, that might have done the that trick. Helped. And yeah, um, to coincide with the results, the um, new boss, Steve Wadey, also uh, announced a new five-year deal with the Ministry of Defence, which basically means that 90% of targeted revenue for the financial year is now covered, uh, which is promising. And it also kind of unveiled a strategy of how it's going to try to improve its customer focus and really help governments who've been struggling, say, with their budgets, for example. So tight purse strings and this new program which i think is going to you know help them compete with peers and um, and get an edge so we, we published the biggest rise and fallers of the week mm-hmm. on our uh, seven days page and they yeah, were uh, third on the list up up over 10 percent. there you go so yeah good week good week for them but as you say maybe the share buyback had uh yeah. something to do i mean let's talk rolls royce because those shares have had a, a shocking yeah. run of late um and i'm particularly affected by that as everyone will know because i own them and i and i as I mentioned, as I um, my mayor culpa editorial, I espoused the wonders of the Rolls Royce shares uh, in July last year, and since then they're down about sixty percent. So big strategic review announced this week. Warren East, new chief exec, came in about mm-hmm. six months ago. Yeah, that's right. And uh, this is his big plan to get the group back on track. I'm hanging on to the shares. You think I should sell? Why? Well, I think some of the stuff that he mentioned is encouraging. He's planning to cut costs by up to two hundred million a year. Uh, simplify the organisation, speed up decisions, those kind of things. You know, the, the shares, have, they've moved up quite a bit in the last um, week or so based on that news and based on um, the fact that Value Act is up to stake. It's doubled its stake to 10%. So Value Act being an activist. Who, yeah, uh, activist investor. Wants things to change a little bit. He reportedly wants um, Rolls-Royce to f- focus more on the aerospace division. 
As opposed to the the marine marine side of things, well, and the marine's been a part of the problem. Which that was where the problems kicked off. Well, it has so the, since the kind of oil price uh, went south. Um, customers just haven't been spending. But um, I think what's really worrying is that the aerospace business isn't really pulling its weight either. The kind of you know the historic business of Rolls Royce is just struggling. It's not competing anymore with competitors. There was a lot of controversy about the fact that Rolls Royce exited the uh, fast-growing narrow-body jet market. Uh, that's turned out to be a bit of a mistake. Was been, that, but I mean, it wasn't a mistake made on Warren Eastwatch. No, so. no, it wasn't. It was something done under the previous management right. under Rishton. Um, but you know, nevertheless, I think you know people are very disgruntled with that. It just seems that every kind of area that Rolls Royce is focused on has just not gone well. It's not going to come to plan. And even Warren East kind of came out and said, you know, we need to improve our communication. We need to speed up decision making. To be honest, it's just been an absolute mess. Yeah, we, we we spoke about this because, I mean, as you say, you know, as we we say, Warren East didn't start until six months ago. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're, they're, there essentially is a transition period. You know, yeah. whether you, however you try and manage it between outgoing and incoming management, there is a bit of a period yeah. where you know perhaps decisions don't get made yeah. because because of that changeover. And it sounds like Rolls Royce has those have this change has happened at the worst possible time for the company. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, as soon as Warren East joined, I think there was a profit warning. So, uh, you know, from from the, from the get-go, and he's had a lot to deal with. And, um, you know, he's got a great reputation. And I don't doubt the fact that Rolls-Royce will eventually turn things around. But I think the point I'm making is that these kind of targets, they're not kind of quick and easy tasks to uh, to complete. The cost-cutting is probably not going to really have an impact for a couple of years. And given how weak trading is across all divisions... Um, yeah, there could be uh, more bad news to come before things get better. Yeah, six profit warning. I mean, that would, yeah. that would be some kind of record. Really. Yeah, well. um, but nevertheless, I mean, you know, so you're not writing the company off. I mean, you think over the long no. term, you know, Rolls Royce is a market leader. It's going to bounce back, just maybe not now. Yeah, I think if if you're kind of following the, the buy and hold uh, strategy, Which I, am. I think, you know, you can rest assured that eventually uh, the company will bounce back. I think a big name like that eventually get its act together and it seems like Warren East is, is at least starting to address some of these issues has there been any takeover speculation I mean you know when activists lurk you know mm. surely surely there's uh, there's some kind of takeover speculation on the cards as well yeah well that will maybe pick up over the uh, the next few months but that said, I think... I'm sure that would be problematic anyway, because, I mean, you've got... I've got a good government stake. Well, and yeah. the fact that who else have you got? You've got GE. GE is the only company with a sufficient scale yeah. uh, to move in there. And they, would, they wouldn't have an exact monopoly, but it'd be something akin to... That's one. a very good point. Very good point. Well, there you go. Well, I won't hold out for, uh, for any M&A to, uh, to, to revitalise uh, my investment then. All right. Well, anyway, Dan, I, I mean, it sounds like we're not necessarily on opposite pages, but, but our timing, we've got a timing differential going on here. Yeah. As you say, buying, I'm buying hold, so I'm hanging on. There's no point selling now. Uh, it's just a question of when I start topping up, I think. Well, I think the, the rationale for selling uh, for me was just the fact that, as I said before, the shares kind of bounced back a little bit, um, up to 6.10, I think it was. And uh, given that, I just thought, you know, I think they've they've got fuller to fall before. Um, I think people are just kind of eagerly waiting for an opportunity to get kind of you know, looking for value and thinking this is value now. But I argue against that. Yeah, well, I, I kind of I kind of accept that because I'm not topping up right now. But there you go. Okay, Graham, let's come back to you uh, briefly. We we said we would talk about uh, good week, bad week, which is yeah. a little uh, bit of it's not page furniture. Uh, it's a little thing we have on on the seven days page, but mm. um, kind of interesting stories here. Thomas Cook, good week, and Poundland, bad week. I mean, let's start with Thomas Cook, because 
we've just talked about the um, you know terrorist atrocities in Paris, and you know travel companies have have been at the brunt of this since Tunisia and uh, Sharm el Sheikh, and exactly. I mean, it's been a horrible year for them geopolitically. Ha- has trading get got better there? Uh, Thomas Cook certainly has. I mean, Thomas Cook is is effectively bouncing back from quite a tough few years. The, the previous chief executive. Harriet Green um, had, had turned it around and then left quite abruptly. Yeah, that was, was weird. Yeah, it was. No, I don't think we've ever got to the bottom of that. No, there's never been a proper explanation of that. But she, but it, she had sort of turned the business round and cut costs and put it onto an even an even footing. And it looks like the uh, the new chief executive, well, he's, he's not that new anymore, but uh, Peter Frankhauser is is reaping some of the benefits of what the green the, the work that, that that Ms Green did. So they've made a profit. They made a profit, year. and that's yeah, yeah, the first, first time in five years. I mean, that is incredible. <laughs> yeah. Well, Thomas yeah. Cook has been around for a long, long time. Yeah, um, and, it, and it's still very popular um, mm. in, in terms of you know the uh, package holiday market. Yeah, indeed, and you know, and uh, the, the, I think the point uh, that I mean, Bradley, who wrote this, is is a is a fan of the stock. He has it on a buy, and the, one of the points being that the balance sheet has been has been shored up, and it's much stronger than it has been for many years. Couple that with with a big improvement in trading and, and, and you had some strong results and a strong share price reaction as well. I mean, the, 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 the results showed, um, certainly in the UK division, uh, 42% rise in operating profits. Mm. Um, the company is sending more people to its own own brand hotels, which yeah, helps I saw that. I thought that that seemed interesting. Uh, Casa Cook, the uh, the brand for young professionals. I yeah. mean, I've got to say that doesn't sound like somewhere I'd be uh, rushing to spend my holiday. <laughs> what do you What do you think? I mean, Dan, I think we're all old men in here, but you're a young professional. What do you think? Well, based on the name, <laughs> I'm not convinced. <laughs> but the, this is one of the one of the uh, strands of its strategy is 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 these boutique hotels. Who knows? That car's a cook. You won't be able to stay there until until May next year. The first one is opening in Rhodes. When can I book though? Yes. When can I book? I'm sure you could book today. <laughs> Rhodes. Um, yes, but yeah, but, yeah. but very, I mean, strong, strong, strong figures there from uh, from Thomas Cook, and, and you know, similarly, we had Dark Group this yeah, week. Yeah, Dark. They, share prices couldn't tell two more different stories yeah. if they tried. Mm. Um, I mean, Darts. I mean, it's just a one one way upward share price yeah. graph. That's defying as we talked about the geopolitical backdrop I mean, mm. you know you'd have thought even sort of good operators who haven't had the troubles of thomas cook like tui have, uh, you know they've really struggled this year yeah. but dart is just flying i think what dart has is that it still it goes to what would be seen as sort of traditional destinations for brits so the the costas the med magaluf or, magaluf exactly rather than you know the, the slightly more troublesome north north african uh, countries it hasn't it hasn't gone there yet and it's as it's much earlier stage i mean three or four years ago dart was uh, was was just a low-cost airline and a distribution uh, logistics business it's built this package holiday business on top which is giving a great margin it's using the same planes but it's actually sweating them more. I um I was actually talking to the management at uh, Hog Robinson this week as well, and they and they made the point that okay, this has happened, and there's going to be some short term effects. But well, Hog Robinson shares were f- again. You know, we talked about the uh, top performing shares this week. Hog Robinson, I think, were number two. Yeah, up twelve percent. Yeah, they, they've done well. I mean, their customer base is, is transitioning away from uh, an analog system to online booking, DIY bookings. It's, and it's, it's business travel. Though. It's business travel to a large extent. Yeah, and, and plus, um, yeah. They, they they look after they have sort of um, one-on-one relationships with companies but they made the point as well that even if you look at um, over the last 10 years whenever you've had these incidents and there's been far more than we, we care to remember really that the upward trend is still going you know you'll get a temporary pullback 
in uh, in tourist numbers, but overall, um, you know, travel, um, holiday travel, and business travel is increasing um, right across the board. And this is why, Dan, I come back to Rolls Royce, and I, and I mentioned it in my, you know, as I mentioned in my fateful editorial in July 2014. It's a secular travel trend. It's an upward trend. It's it's not going away. That's the interesting thing. I mean, that's what everyone says about aerospace. But yeah, a lot of the players in aerospace have been struggling. But well, well, it's an emerging market story as well. Yeah. Yeah, the China, obviously, is a, a big market for aerospace. But I think in general, there's a lot of people operating in that space. And um, unfortunately, the likes of Rolls-Royce and um, I think Senior, GK, and they just haven't been able to compete with some of the kind of US names who've just, I guess, offered better, more competitive pricing, better products, maybe. Mm. Better products than a Rolls-Royce engine, I doubt it very much. Anyway, let's mm. uh, come back to that another day. Let's go bad week, Graham. Mm. Poundland. Poundland. Yeah, from, from the, the very highest quality engineering the planet has to offer. <laughs> Poundland. Yes, um, not, not, a good, not a good week for them. Certainly their shares got, um, shares got hammered. They lost yeah. a fifth of their value um, on, on the back of slightly disappointing results. And uh, the, the results sort of coincided with this takeover of, of the 99p stores, um, which is just going through. But but the results didn't see any effect of that because I think the the, the, the uh, deal is completed on the last day of the period. Um, so we won't see any effect of that yet. But in the meantime, yeah, um, tough comparatives. Apparently, uh, the timing of Easter was an issue. The um, loom ban craze. The loom ban. I was going to mention this to you, John, because we both were victims of this last year. <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't spend that much on it. I, mean, I can't, I can't no. believe that... You know the you know several pounds I spent on loom bands over the course of the year was enough to derail an entire company's profits. No, no, but that's you know, that that was one of the factors they um they 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 put forward. I mean, like for like sales actually only fell by two point eight percent, but the operational gearing in the business and so forth and the costs associated with this merger, which was quite a long-running deal because of competition well, this concerns, is what, this is what they blame. Have, have hammered the, uh, the, the, the financials. They said that the, the competition probe lasted a very long time, meant that the uh, targets, 99p stores, mm. had problems with its trade credit agreements, they've taken these stores over, there's no stock in them. It's a disaster in that respect. Yeah. Um, obviously, they've got the cost of refitting those stores. I mean, if you've ever been into a... a a 99p store and I have I have Uh, and if you've ever been to a Poundland store I have there's only one P difference in price but a world of difference in the quality of those (laughs) shops I mean it's extraordinary 99p stores were horrific really yep Yep. silence (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah so so, you know did they underestimate what they were taking on here possibly possibly I mean we, we will only real get a real view of the quality of this transaction in 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 the next financial figures but it looks like the market's saying mm, you've made a bad choice here with the, this the market doesn't seem keen on this one at all no and you, i mean you can argue well you know plenty of vacant space in the uk you could probably just have expanded organically and done mm. exactly the same thing especially if you're having to re-establish the entire supply base yeah. of the company that you've bought well exactly poundland was doing very well on its own and some will question whether the management have maybe you know taken a, a step too far with this deal. Yeah, that, that's partly why the, the, the shares have been so disappointing of late. Yeah, and I don't think there's going to be any great Black Friday effect at Poundland. What are they <laughs> going to do? Cut the price by 
Um, Okay, Uh, that's enough about discount retail. Um, A few more retail results in the magazine this week. AO World, which we don't like. Pets at Home, which we do. Uh, Cambria Auto, uh, which we have on a buy. Uh, And also Simon Thompson has on a buy in his column. Um, One of the smaller um, car distributors in the UK, but doing very well. In fact, as the whole car distribution sector is. Um, Which leads us very neatly on to the cover feature. Which Robbo and Dan, and also Alex Newman, who's not here in this podcast today, but you, you've written this. And this is about the acceleration of low emission motoring, clean up. Yeah, I think um, anyone who's uh, keeping an eye on uh, the media of late would have noticed a, uh, an increase in these type of stories linked to low emission motoring. To do, probably to do with the Volkswagen well, scandal. It, well, exactly. I mean, that's, uh, that's brought it to the, uh, the public consciousness. But, of course, there's been a number of uh, medical studies that have come out uh, through this year as well, which are pointing to the, uh, the dangers of uh, diesel motoring in uh, urban areas. The rise in particular, it's the fact that we don't know exactly the, the, the full scale of the, uh, the detrimental uh, health effects. Um, and so the, the underlying theme of the article is that we, we, we're backing the notion that at some point in the future, the, the auto market's going to reach a tipping point. And we describe it in the piece here is that that's when you go into a forecourt of a car dealership and you're as likely as not to opt for a, a low emission vehicle. I mean, this is obviously still some way off, but we think that uh, our readers will have, to, at some point, will have to adapt their portfolios to take account of this. Because the fact is, with any disruptive technology, it's going to generate a lot of value, but it's going to destroy value in, in other in- industries as well. So, um, it, it's it's really important for our readers to keep this in mind. And, and as I say, the timing is, is not exact on this, but they need to keep this. Okay, so, I mean, <clears throat> you talk about adapting your portfolios. I guess most of the car makers are not in the UK. Um, so, no. you know, a lot of them are, uh, are European and yeah. American. Yeah, well, that's right. But, I mean, it, it has a knock-on effect to, uh, as, as Daniel points out in, in the piece as well, the, the, the supply chain is quite strong in the UK and a number of UK players are actually adapting or at the, the point of adapting to to meet these uh, the, the new requirements. And plus, we, we, everyone's got exposure to uh, oil and gas within their portfolio as well and they're going to take a look at that because, I mean, if this does accelerate to the point uh, where... 10% even of the cars on the road are low emissions, uh, then that's going to have a, a knock-on effect to the oil companies. Okay, let's, I mean, let's rewind a bit. Um, yeah. So we're talking about you know, uh, electric and uh, hybrid and hydrogen-based cars yes. um, reaching a tipping point. Yeah. What you say is that it could come sooner. Uh, than, than perhaps we've expected before and, and that actually Volkswagen could act, have acted as a catalyst for that we know we've got Tesla over in the US yep. um, we talk about how, how perhaps this low emission motoring is, is the preserve of, of the wealthier car buyer at the moment but that's perhaps a reflection of how car the car industry started in the first place well exactly I mean when, when, when there was uh, dozens of manufacturers in, in the UK to begin with I mean it wasn't uh, an option for a working man it was uh, a plaything for the, uh, the landed classes really so cars are expensive. Well, the cars are expensive, and economies of scale uh, are yet to kick in. You know, obviously, with any you, you produce anything, and you have to get to a certain point where that 
manufacturing is affected by it. In the meantime, what's essential for the industry is a high level of uh, gov- government subsidy and uh, and beefed up uh, regulations as well. And we're, and we're seeing this across Europe and, and beyond. But having said that, I mean, we've seen the government in the, in the autumn statement last budget, I mean, they seem to be retrenching on uh, some of their uh, carbon commitments but but electric cars seem reasonably well, safe yeah. but they are but the, even the subsidies there are being reined in a little bit aren't they well they're not exactly being reined in but they're they're being reclassified at the right. mo- at the moment um there's quite a broad um uh, system and operation where that helps new buyers in, in the future we don't know this for sure but it, there'll be an announcement in the next uh well, in 2016 it's going to be a tiered system and uh, they're going to target the most fuel efficient cars the, the the top end if you like oh that's good i mean well, it so is. That, that could act as a, as a you know incentive for for producers uh to, to actually you know focus their attention on well, on selling more more of the most efficient vehicles. well that's right what's happened this year uh sales of these vehicles in the uk have uh, you know streaked ahead this year about 240 percent to the good and that's because a lot of people are getting in and buying cars like the the mitsubishi outlander which wouldn't probably wouldn't fall in under the new this scheme so they they can go in get help with the the acquisition now before the new scheme comes yep. in uh well that's just it's a bit of canny operation on the point of view of consumers uh but yeah the but government I, I thought we were all stupid well yeah that's it i, I don't know i don't i don't think we are all that stupid uh the, the point is it's, it's going to be a tiered system which will be targeted at the at the most fuel efficient um uh, vehicles or the, or the least polluting at any rate but then, but then, you know, beyond that, you've got lots of uh, car manufacturers who are working on what would classi- be classified as the ultra-efficient. Well, yes. So I you've mean, got Toyota. Well, Toy- Toyota this year, well, Toyota, interestingly, this year uh, made a commitment to virtually phase out their um, conventional uh, petrol and diesel-driven uh, internal combustion engines in the next 35 years. And coming from uh, the world's biggest automaker... They're the biggest? Yeah, I think they might be. The world's biggest automaker. It, it's, it's a hell of a commitment when you, mm. when you think about it. Uh, Shinzo Abe's bought one. <clears throat> indeed. Indeed. And at the moment, the Mirai, which was, the, which was uh, took up a lot of uh, column inches recently, that's, it, it's available. Well, it's not exact, exactly available in the UK yet. They're trying a, a scheme in uh, California where there's 12 of these outlets. Uh, it's, you know, the ex- extraordinary incentives of, on offer if you buy. And, of course, they've chosen California because... Uh, uh, there's been tremendous progress over there with electric vehicles and hybrids as well. And so they're, they're going to see if this is uh, going to work. I mean, it's been dismissed by Elon Musk, for instance, as, you know, it's unworkable um, hydrogen fuel cell technology. Well, this is what Shell's bet the farm on. Well, not bet the farm on, but it certainly made a big bet on Well, exactly. Hydrogen. They've, they've uh, agreed with their joint venture partners and uh, local authorities in Germany to build 400 uh, outlets up and down the country as well. In- interestingly enough... Um, uh, because of this, the strength of the uh, the motor lobby in in Germany, it really isn't geared up for electric motoring at the moment. The, the UK is streets ahead of Germany. I mean, I, I was listening to um, <clears throat> BBC Radio Four a while back, and uh, they had a spokesman there saying that you could drive from Hamburg through to Berlin now, and you wouldn't be able to recharge your electric car. So it's it's a big bet by Shell on this type of technology, and it's interesting to note as well because uh, the hydrogen that, that's derived at the moment is derived from na- natural gas as well, which fits into their their evolving corporate Absolute, model too. Absolutely. Well, uh, certainly a big company to bet against. Uh, uh, and, you know, for my mind, there's nothing to say you can't have both. 
Well, exactly. And then it, it may well get to the point where there's any number. You, you could have uh, compressed uh, air vehicles on the road. Yeah. We, we don't know how this is going to work out, but some, some people are actually saying, well, it's, it's a straight trade-off between electric vehicles and hydrogen fuel cell technology. But as you say, it, 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 there might be a diverse r- range of vehicles in, on Absolutely. the road in 20 years, 30 years. Okay. I mean, as I said, you know, not many British car makers <coughs> these days, but um, certainly lots of British technology companies and engineers who are well involved in this. Damn, I mean, yeah. you've had a look at this in the feature. Yeah. Um, what, what's your, uh, who your picks here? Well, it's quite interesting, really, because I, I wrote that feature before called uh, Profit Machines, uh, and that kind of looked more at the present situation. And a lot of those names have actually been boosting their exposures to these kind of new trends. Um, I think, from a personal perspective, I think I quite like the kind of companies involved with the research and development process. So, Ricardo, AB Dynamics. Um, Ricardo's an amazing company. It's been around oh, yeah. for a long, long time. Actually, I was, there's a museum near me called the Museum of Power, and I stumbled, stumbled across a piece of Ricardo kit the other day. It was over 100 years old. Um, and also a piece of Weir kit. Anyway, I digress. Um, so, yeah, when it comes to times of innovation and change, those kind of companies are bound to benefit because they're going to be the big car manufacturers are going to be consulting with them. And these guys, even AB Dynamics, which is a a relatively small company. I mean, it, some of its key customers include Honda, Toyota, Ford, Volkswagen. So it's really kind of in contact with yeah. the big kind of car makers. And uh, interestingly, you know, there could be a discussion that anything anyone associated with Volkswagen is uh, you know, is in trouble. But on the contrary, for companies like AB Dynamics, Volkswagen really are going to be needing to kind of innovate now. In fact, their um, their next flagship car is going to be all electric. So there you go. they're moving on. There you go. Also, Robert, I mean, you know, the mining sector has had a torrid time lately, but uh, there is a bit of a light at the end of the, the, the mining tunnel, and that's lithium. We talk about a few of these here. Yeah, Bacar Minerals is one that uh, Alex Newman has uh, looked at in the past as well. It's it's a small uh, aim-traded uh, stock, but it might stay that way for well, long. They had some results this week as well. Look decent. Yeah, yeah, and they've got long-term contracts again with Tesla uh, as well. So, I mean, there's some earnings visibility there going forward. Well, Gigafactory needs a lot of uh, the gigafact- lithium. Well, exactly. So, I mean, it, it's certainly a growth area. And when you look at... Uh, uh, across the sectors, uh, basically, we've got a, a secular stagnation, low interest rates. Where is the growth going to come from in the future? I mean, this this is a green technologies. We're, we're confident uh, that they'll be one of the areas that investors should uh, really concentrate on. But it's difficult at this stage to say exactly who are going to be the winners in all this. Well, in that respect, it feels like we're also at a tipping point in commodities markets because the whole, I mean, the commodities we need that, that we did, we require will change too. And that's, I mean, that's really fascinating stuff. Well, uh, yeah, it's futurology. Well, uh, I was I was reading today as well that um, uh, the copper price. Uh, uh, reco- well, didn't recover, but it, uh, it, boost- it was boosted yesterday because there's an inquiry, a government-led inquiry in China now about uh, uh, the, the extent of short positions in the market over there. The fact that uh, there's a, uh, there's speculation in the market, and they're going to, it could well be that they're going to drive this down because we've said that for some time that. Uh, the prices aren't a true reflection of the of the fundamentals in the copper market as uh, as we understand them. Mm. So um, you know it's in, it's in this whole it's this whole sort of debate about uh, paper based contracts and uh, and the effect they have on physical markets. Oh goodness, let's leave that for another day. Oh really? Anyway, yeah. Um, anyway, chaps, um, clean up. I think I thought it was a really really interesting feature. I don't think I've read anything that was anywhere near as comprehensive a roundup of of where we really are. Uh, with with electric and uh, and uh, fuel cell based vehicles, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Thank you, thank you very much.
no problem. Okay, um, and I guess that that kind of is all we have time for this week. There is so much more in the magazine that we could uh, we could discuss. We we talk more about energy markets and uh, the government's push for gas as it phases out coal fired power, um, and obviously. Uh, nuclear is at the heart of that as well. We've got a couple of results that seem to be benefiting there. A new one that you wrote, Mark, actually, and Babcock. Algie Hall back doing his stock screens. And this week it is five genuine growth shares. They boast a three-year cumulative return of 83.3%, uh, which is pretty much three times what the Fussy's done. Amazing How does stuff. he do it? How does he do it? How does he do it? Mm. Science. Science. We've got a great sector focus from Emma, again, mm-hmm. looking at power and emerging markets. Um, lots in the comments section, uh, lots in the personal finance section, uh, which they'll be talking about on their podcast, and lots and lots of results. Uh, so go and pick up the magazine, clean up, profit from the acceleration of low emission motoring, £4.50 in all good news agents, and we will catch up again next week. Thank you very much, everyone. <laughs>